Welcome to the internet. Live from the Marriott Library at the University of Utah, this is the Redline Podcast. I'm your host, Undisclosed Location, and these are my co-hosts... Kyle Holland and... Alex Fielder. Today we continue our... Winding, okay, I'll just start there. Our winding journey with Amtrak, <laughs> it because everything is slow and winding yeah. in Amtrak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we continue our winding journey with Amtrak. How did America's national rail provider come to be, and how did we get where it is today? All this after the news. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> Good news has arrived today for those fighting to restore Amtrak service to the Gulf Coast as Amtrak and the railroads have finally come to an agreement. The case was in front of the Surface Transportation Board, but at this time Amtrak and the involved railroads have asked for it to be put on hold. And it is unknown what the terms are, but regardless, this is a big win for expanding intercity rail service in the U.S. South because this particular route was suspended after Hurricane Katrina. Oh. It has been a long time since Hurricane Katrina now. Yeah. That is true. <laughs> so, it would be good if it came back. Agree or disagree? Agree. I assume they fixed any damage to the rails and other infrastructure. A long sense. time ago. A long time ago. It's just the railroads in question did the thing that U.S. railroads do where they barely built enough infrastructure. And then now they're like, well, if even one Amtrak train comes through, we won't be able to operate anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Amtrak has to literally fight them. In, yeah, court. So, well, well, like the railroad equivalent of court, which is the NTSB. <laughs> I didn't know we had a railroad court. Yeah. See this episode. The previous of episode of Amtrak. And also this episode and, of Amtrak. And the next episode of Amtrak. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after also, after eight days of shutdowns due to construction on the A Better Red project, TriMet's Max Blue Line is back in regular service. The project, which will bring the Max Red Line 10 stations further to the west from its current terminus at the Beaverton Transit Center to Fair Complex Hillsboro Airport, Jesus Christ, simplify your names, people, is proceeding apace. They did actually shut down I-84 for a little while because they were building <laughs> a, a new flyover over it for the oh. line. So that was that was kind of interesting. So, so what exactly did they build in total? Well, for a long time, the flyover that takes the red line to like their equivalent of the central corridor uh, was single-tracked. Oh. As was a lot of the route from the airport to there. Mm-hmm. Which was the reason they couldn't like extend the red line and interline it more with the blue line. Right. And then also there are no turnaround switches at Fair Complex Hillsboro. So they've also had to shut down the tracks to redo all the track work around it so they can have switches there so they can turn the trains. So that's the majority of the project. They aren't really doing anything else. Yeah. But like those are pretty substantive infrastructure things. They just that's built good. things a second time. Yeah. As it were. Well, I mean, when the original West Side Max and East Side Max were built, like, they weren't necessarily planning on the Red Line existing, so... Right, right, that's fair. And the Red Line originally wasn't meant to go west of downtown. Oh, like, it was it meant to terminate to turn around downtown. in downtown, yeah, because there's still this turnaround uh, tracks from where the Blue Line used to turn around back when it was only on the East Side. <laughs> so now both it of used them to turn around ways. there... But then there was so much demand on the Beaverton to Portland section of the line that they had to expand the red line out there. <laughs> so Unlike by the any time we go to Portland, it will not be in service. <laughs> Rip. Construction. I think the red line will hopefully be in service when we're in Portland. That's the dream. 
hopefully. Yeah, because then we will be able to go to the airport without having to take a shuttle bus. That sounds nice. Yeah. Fast. Yeah, faster. Yeah. Average MBTA user be like, ha! Weak! They don't even have a people mover from their train to the airport. Bunch of losers. <laughs> Jeez, I hope Charlie's not listening. No, that was a joke. I like Boston. <laughs> well, good um, on Portland for doing things that any American freight, freight railroad would have, like, nuked died. the country before doing. Yeah. So, um, that's the news. Wow. New. So, last time we discussed the current state of Amtrak, also known as the National Railroad Passenger Corporation, which is the United States National Intercity Rail Provider. Amtrak operates about 40 routes throughout the United States and runs over 300 trains today, as well as the United States' only high-speed rail service, and high-speed rail service is in quotation marks, the Acela Express. Anything else you guys want to, like, mention of Amtrak before we go on to the history of Amtrak? Amtrak is at the whim of the other big rail. Of the class ones. <laughs> of the class ones. Yeah. Which of own all of the track. Not all of it. Well, all of the useful track. Not all of it. There's, like, three tracks that are not owned by... The Northeast Corridor. Amtrak is a class one railroad. So oh, right. Okay, <laughs> yeah. well, I'm talking about the evil class ones. Oh, BNSF. so all the f- other ones. Yeah. Okay, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Also, I would like to reassert my assertion from last time that Amtrak is the best passen- inner-city passenger rail service in the Western Hemisphere. That's depressing. Yeah. And there's still no <laughs> disagreement with that. No, you can't because it's true. Haha. <laughs> Nobody's disagreed with you on the internet about this. USA. 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 Are you guys not going to join in? This is very depressing. I think we're going to have to report you to the House on American Activities Committee. Oh, for no. thought crime. So anyway, the history of Amtrak begins with the death of American railroading. So by the early 1960s, passenger trains were becoming incredibly unprofitable. Something, 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 um, subsidized highway construction. And airports. Yeah, that too. So in in the 1950s, the Eisenhower administration was just like, you know what would be great? Road. Road. That's right. So they built the freeways and then... Air travel was becoming not garbage. It was was becoming something that individuals could afford to do. Right, and also it didn't suck and kill you half the time anymore. Oh, yeah, that's a nice perk, Um, too. Mm -hmm. So then the federal government was also building a ton of airports, and cities were building a ton of airports, and so the government's spending all this money on roads and gas and airplanes, and then all these railroads, which have to pay for their own infrastructure and pay for their own routes. and And operations and maintenance. And they have to get money from their users to cover all those costs. Right, and they can't really get it, but they're also federally required to actually keep running all these passenger routes, even if they're unprofitable. So it becomes sort of this nightmare downward spiral where, like, passenger service is just becoming this drain and this thing that railroads are just, like, desperately trying to get rid of. Because it's just not possible to compete with all the money that government's throwing at other transportation modes. Right, and this and this had been happening since 1916. So in 1916, this was like the peak of railroading ever. Like, 
Uh, 98% of inner city commercial and passenger service uh, was controlled by the railroads in 1916. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, By 1940, that was 67%. And by 1950, only 32%. Okay, by today's standards, 32% is still very, very good. Well, sure, but by, like, 1960, it was, like, 12. Oh. So, um... (laughs) As the federal government is ramping up funding for highways and airports. Right, and also just, like, you know, slowly demolishing cities. But that's a whole other thing. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, passenger service had become so unprofitable by 1970, which was the last year of privately operated passenger railroad service, that's a mouthful, that route miles were cut in half from the year before. Like, this was just one year. They like, just cut half the routes. Right. So in, 19, route in 1969, uh, there were 107,000 miles of passenger routes in the United States. And then the next year, 1970, there were 49,000. Jeez. I should point out that Amtrak currently operates about 23,000. Which is most notably less than both of those numbers. Yes. By a lot. <laughs> yes. So... Um, And, you know, Congress had tried several strategies to save passenger service on the railroads, such as the High-Speed Ground Transportation Act, uh, which created the first, like, pseudo-high-speed train in America, which was a tilting train. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course it is, because of our really old corridor and our complete inability to build new things. Because in 65, you'll never guess what monumental event in railroad history happened. The Shinkansen opened which is Japanese, like, bullet trains, which were going, like, you know, Ooh. 180 at the beginning. And so America's like, well, crap, we can't have none of them foreigners out doing the United States. Uh, so they passed this act called the High Speed Ground Transportation Act, which created these, like, weird EMU trains from the Bud Rail Car Company, which were supposed to go really fast, uh, but they sucked. <laughs> and so... Penn Central operated them for five years. Then Penn Central went bust, and Amtrak operated them for a while. But then those were crap, and so anyway, we're going to have to talk about the Metroliner program a whole different time. Hey, at least there was <laughs> some competitive spirit happening there. Yes. Um, but as I said, the Penn Central Railroad, which was at the time the largest company on the world, and therefore when it went you know, bust, it became the largest bankruptcy in history. Um, <laughs> Oof. Yeah, they went bust. And like... The scale of the Penn Central was just immense because it had taken the Pennsylvania Railroad mm-hmm. and the New York Central Railroad, which Ooh. were the two largest railroads in the country. And put them together. And put them together to try and save them in a merger several years earlier. Mm-hmm. And then it didn't work. And uh, so they kind of went... So they collapsed, and in bankruptcy court, they were ordered to cease their passenger service, (laughs) (laughs) which which was bad. Um, And, you know, since they were such like a linchpin railroad on the East Coast, a lot of other railroads sort of almost ran their routes as like shuttles off the Penn Central's main routes. Mm -hmm. Um, So everyone else is like, "Uh, what do we do? What do we do? Um, All the trains just disappeared overnight. Like literally. Like, I, I, it was just like an instant collapse. It was not good. Jeez. 
What do we do with all the passengers? Well, so the federal government had been kicking around ideas to combine all passenger railways into a single service since, like, the early 60s. Uh, but the looming collapse of all passenger service in the United States, like, I kid you not, probably there would have been no passenger trains in the United States in 1971. <laughs> None at all. Like, they would have just... They couldn't have afforded it because it was just, like... It was losing the railroad to billion dollars a year, which doesn't sound like, you know, that's not, that's a lot of money, right? Yeah. Today in 2021, okay. Now think about 50 years of inflation. Oh. Right. So, like, they were just losing, like... They were running a lot of service crap back Crap loads of... Because they were required to by the federal government. <laughs> right. But they were all going to go bankrupt from running it. Federal government requires railroads to run passenger service. Also federal government actively competes with rail passenger service. <laughs> right, Jeez. right. Uh, so, you know, this, this, this crap forced Congress to do something, which is something that Congress is notoriously loath to do. Mm-hmm. Something. <laughs> um, Anything. Yeah, and so in October of 1970, President Nixon signed the Rail Passenger Service Act into law, creating Amtrak, or as it was known at first, Rail Packs. Which is not as cool of a name. I mean, I kind of like rail packs. Uh, So the act allowed for several major provisions. So firstly, any railroad operating passenger service could join, period. So there were... No matter how small or how big you are. Right. And there were 26 railroads still operating passenger service at the time. And so any of them could join up and join into Amtrak if they wanted to. As opposed to running like they were before. Right. A huge loss. And so... The other thing is railroads had to pay to get in. So mm-hmm. they either had to give Amtrak cash or give them rolling stock. And this amount was based on how much they had lost the previous year. Oh, jeez. In money. <laughs> right. right. That, can't, that can't make it easy to join. No. Well, because, you know, the idea was the federal government doesn't want to have to pay any money to Amtrak ever, right? It's going to be this... This has always been ...self-sufficient service that's going to be self-sufficient and it's going to make its own money. So the federal government, we don't want to give them money, we don't want to buy them rolling stock, so we're going to make the railroads pay to build it. Definitely a good idea for service that has already been hemorrhaging money. Right, (laughs) and we will get to the problems with this in a few minutes. So anyways, we've taken the magic profitability wand... Right, so now you've imagined, like, all these railroads are joining, and they're just, like, chucking old, like, you know... Really old trains. 1890s rolling stock at Amtrak. <laughs> <laughs> like, stuff from the First World War, all sorts of crazy stuff. It has wheels, or at least it used to. Yeah, so they're, so they're all paying to get in. Um, and then the big kicker here is that railroads that joined would no longer be under the legal obligation to operate passenger service after the 1st of May 1971. So, passenger service at this point was losing so much money that, like, this was just a get-out-of-jail-free card for the railroads. They just had to give all of their old passenger rolling stock to Amtrak, and then they could just go back to doing freight, which was still making money. And still does today. Yeah. Yeah. Off the backs of the infrastructure being degraded. But anyways. <laughs> if Uber can make money off of degrading uh, rolling stock and infrastructure, then why can't the freight railroads? Right. It's the venture capital spirit. Uh, and, and then, so, the government provided all these carrots, but they also gave you a stick. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
<laughs> and the stick was that railroads that chose not to join would be required to continue operating their current passenger services until 1975. So basically, you can pay one year's worth of losses. Or to die. Be, to be free almost immediately, or you can suffer four more years of losses. No, you can die. Like, because you're going to go bankrupt from yeah. operating these passenger services. It's not a question anymore. It's like you are going to go bankrupt if you keep operating these. Great. So they really didn't give them much of a choice. No, it was like, well, congratulations. You asked for the bailout. Now do it or die. Yeah. Good old Nixon. Thanks, Nixon. <laughs> uh, so out of the 26 railroads still operating passenger at the time... Uh, only six decided not to join. And three of those... Um, now i got to explain something else. So before, before like, Amtrak, before you could just ditch all your routes onto Amtrak, you had to go through the um, Interstate Commerce Commission to if you wanted to discontinue a rail service route. So three of them had, like, two or three routes left, and they were getting them all discontinued by the Interstate Commerce Commission. And then the other three were like... Gosh darn it, rail service is a part of American railroad and heritage, and we're going to keep doing it until we die. Yeehaw, etc. And then they did until they died? Yes. And they quickly died? Uh, relatively, <laughs> yes. Um, All right. Yeah, that makes sense. But but 20 joined, and uh, Amtrak ended up operating service over 13 of the railroads that joined and would eventually operate services over all of them except the Georgia Central. Why that one specifically? It was never useful. Like, they didn't need to. Oh, okay. And it's part of Norfolk's, or I think it's part of Norfolk Southern now, so, I mean, I guess they're technically operating over. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, you know, this didn't really fix the American railroad industry because what ended up happening is that they all just died anyway and had to be consolidated into four Class 1 railroads. But Which is definitely working out so well right now. Real, real healthy for everybody involved. Yeah. Anyway, Amtrak is now in exist. And now is in charge of cleaning up this whole mess. Right. And then on May 1st, 1971, they are required to begin passenger service. With whatever random right. crap that got thrown at them. Right. And you think about this, right? Like, they've had, like, 12 months between their creation and needing to take over the entire passenger rail service of one of the largest and most populous countries on the planet. And they're just being thrown scraps. Yeah. And Jeez. well wishes. Wait, so why, why didn't Amtrak get the good rolling stock from the companies? There wasn't any. Oh, okay. Because, <laughs> because well, well, I mean, uh, let's think about it. You're operating this incredibly unprofitable service, and it has been unprofitable for literally decades, but the federal government requires you to operate it in order to stay in business. Are you going to invest anything into rolling stock? No, as long as it moves, <laughs> it meets the federal requirement. Right, it just needs to move, and barely. Okay. So Amtrak is just getting, like, just this ancient Literal garbage. garbage. Yeah. The, Jeez, that's not a good hand to be dealt, is it? No, and and it was a mess. So this brings us into what is called, very nicely, the Rainbow Era of Amtrak. And it is called the Rainbow Era uh, because... Okay, well, let's say, let's say you're operating, like, I don't know, a Northeast Regional train, right? Yeah. And you need to put 13 cars on this train and, like, six locomotives or whatever. Because 
who knows how many of the locomotives will die midway. Um, <laughs> right, so you hitch them all together. Right, and then, but you, as Amtrak, have access to like 1,300 cars and et cetera, various rolling stock implements from, or from like a dozen railways. Mm-hmm. All of these railways have their own paint schemes. Oh. And Amtrak has no money to repaint all of these cars. And <laughs> you can't afford paint. <laughs> so what you would get is just these, like, trains with, like, cars and locomotives from, like, five, ten different railways, <laughs> which are a rainbow of colors. That's the rainbow era. <laughs> that, that's what I thought <laughs> that meant. I was hoping it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Amtrak's early days were, to put it lightly, a mess. From the very start, they were forced to prune nearly half of the national passenger network, cutting routes from over 350 to just over 180. Because they just couldn't afford it. they had no money. <laughs> and, the, and Congress wasn't going to give them any money. Um, and then, of course, they'd also inherited the problems that their predecessor railroads had faced. Namely, ancient and poorly maintained equipment. A.K.A. Ancient, actual garbage. Right. <laughs> ancient and poorly maintained stations. A.K.A. litter. <laughs> and inadequate funding for passenger service and often inadequate amounts of rolling stock in the first place. Yeah, that sounds about right. Because from the railroads, Amtrak had gotten like 3,000 passenger cars. Mm-hmm. That does not 1,700 of them were not fit for passenger service. Despite the fact <laughs> that the railroads were running them anyways? Uh-huh. Great. So what, what did that entail? Like, Well, first of all, they had to cut a bunch of routes, and second of all, they had no cars. <laughs> no, no, but like, what, what makes the, the cars uh, inoperable? You run them enough, they just break. Yeah, they were just like, like they broken, were like broken? from the 1800s okay. and stuff. Like they were just so old. Also, safety they, standards evolve over time, right? And or they had no air conditioning, or they didn't yeah. have toilets, or like this is literally the sort of things they were weeding out. So like the two <laughs> factors for whether a train car would be put into service uh, as an Amtrak car after the like big merger: does it have air conditioning? Does it have a toilet? <laughs> What about, and like, safety? Oh. oh, and hopefully it's stainless steel, so it'll be cheaper to maintain. Oh, right, right. Wow. Because you don't <laughs> have to paint stainless steel. And Amtrak can't afford paint. Yeah, you can just let the paint, like, chip off slowly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, despite this, you know, Amtrak saw early success. So they had this leader. His last name was Lewis. He was the first guy to ever run Amtrak. He was actually an airline guy. Which is kind of interesting, right? Yeah. Um, so although its trains were colorful and, you know, garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Amtrak sort of managed to rationalize and improve service and, you know, marginally improve maintenance on the stuff that it did own. Kinda so that service take this like... Take pile of trash and just redo it. They, like... There were some improvements, so and there were there was advertising. So it's upcycling then. You still yeah. have the trash; yeah. you just make it look, look nice and Nicer maybe trash. give it a new purpose. Right, and you see like other things that happened that were good is that Congress paid to like improve the interiors of the cars, mm-hmm. so but that not they like weren't the tra- actual function. Well, the maintenance. Well, that screw that. Am that's Amtrak's problem, but we want them to look nice. Okay. So Congress paid for that, um, so that was good. But not, like, actual rail operations. Great, thanks, Congress. Right, well, <laughs> and they also established, like, a two-and-a-half-hour service between D.C. and New York, which is faster than a SOA. Oh. The Metro Liner, which we were talking about earlier. So right, with they the made, weird tilted they made some improvements. 
So they were just working with what they had. They were working hard with what they have. Um, But unfortunately, Amtrak was a railroad that was, you know, literally designed to fail. Like, uh, Nixon and his ilk had sort of set up their funding structure in such a way that the necessary subsidies were not available to them. Were these, like, subsidies that would have ordinarily been available to a regular railroad? No. But... Or just the government knew that passenger rail was losing a crap ton of money, right? And if you want to make the, the balance sheets work out, you got to throw money at it. And they expected Amtrak to make money off of routes that had not been making money before. Through the magic With, of magic. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, this is kind of... Oh, so it ended up by the third anniversary of its founding in 1974... Over a third of Amtrak's passenger fleet was out of service. Because they had no money to maintain it. Great. And this is already after they've, like, you know, had to decrease from 3,000 cars to 1,300 cars. And then we're getting a third of those that are broken. So now you have, like, 800 cars. Doing great. You could run all sorts of service. Also, ridership is increasing because there's this great thing called the oil crisis happening. Oh, okay. (laughs) And so, like... Literally, on Thanksgiving Day of, like, 1974, which was, like, Amtrak's worst year ever, mm-hmm. like, people were, like, standing room only on NEC trains <laughs> and stuff. Like, they were standing in gaps between the cars. You know, like, the oh, galleries between the cars where the doors open? No. Stand they're there. standing there. Like, no, no. no seats available. It was it was not Because Amtrak had no cars to put on the train. Amtrak yeah, had no cars. Did this at least make them tons of money? Not enough. Okay. <laughs> not enough. Unfortunately. You know, maybe if they had had, you know, the fleet to scale up their operations, they could have made enough money. Right. You can only fit so many people in a metal tube. Right. And so this is where we get it to talk about one of the American right's very favorite tactics of how to, quote, prove its point, unquote. So so let's say you have created or let's 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 not even start there. There is popular demand for service. Right? Like transit service? Service. Just a service. Service. Its name is service. It does something. Service. It does its services. It's social security. <laughs> it's Amtrak. It's Post Office. A post office. It's your it's, local park. It's education. Service that does something it's that people service. like. It's a service. And people are like We want hey, service. <laughs> our life would be made better if service happened. So people in Congress are like Let's pass the Service Act of year that to, <laughs> to so accurate. Let's pass the Service Act of year to create service and allow service to help people. Because our voters want service, or at least enough of them do to get us reelected. Right. And then, in the election of next year, <laughs> <laughs> the right wins, and everyone's like, "Hooray! The right wins! They're going to curb." Communism and government incompetence. And taxes. And they're going to cut taxes. And then, you know, sir, they, the, the Republicans, or the right, I guess, because, you know, the Republicans weren't always the right in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, the right, they're like, they've, they haven't wanted service ever. Like, they hate service. They wish service never existed. Yeah, service mm-hmm. is evil. Service is bad. Service is communism in America. Service is destroying the youth, etc. Mm-hmm. So, and making Americans lazy, yada, yada, yada. So, service is bad. But, but they've just been elected. And service is still popular because people wanted service, which is why it was made a thing. Okay. So, what they love to do 
is defund service. Because so, you can't just like so, eliminate service because it's popular. Right, because it's popular. So they take away money from service. Just a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time, right. Like, because they're going to be in office for, I don't know, let's say 12 years, which is definitely not, you know, something that happened from 1980 to 1992. Ahem. But they're in power for 12 years from year to year. Um so they can just, like, take a pickaxe so and a shovel. Every, and every year, the president and his party get to make the budget. So every year, they like go, well, chip, then another chip, then a bigger chip, then another bit bigger chip, 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 until there's nothing left and service sucks. And because it has like, no money. And by the end of their, their term in office, everyone's like, boo, service sucks. We need to d- get rid of service because service is bad. When, in fact... Service is good. It just doesn't have money. <laughs> because, the, because the right has been chipping away at it and defunding it all the time. So this was sort of built into Amtrak. From the get-go, thanks, From Nixon. the get-go, right. Because, <laughs> because everyone in America is freaking out because passenger rail service is going away, right? You know, kind of need because that. Because that's bad because we need passenger rail service. We've had passenger rail service longer than anyone else, except the Brits. Um, yes. And they're basically like our loser cousins across the ocean. So, <laughs> you know, we, we've we had passenger rail service for like a hundred odd years at this point, And everyone's like, what would life be like if I can't get a train to X place? Like, what am I going to do? So everyone's flipping out. And so they create service. <sighs> Because gotta gotta have it. Mm-hmm. In this case, service is Amtrak, but Amtrak, they want it to fail because the right likes highways and airplanes, and trains are socialist communist things that the Soviets do, and they're, you know, and that makes them bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So instead of just not doing service, because not doing service would be a very unpopular move, you do service. But they just didn't give service any money. Like so, they didn't. They the Amtrak. Like, the reason Amtrak has always had such trouble, like, expanding in any way, shape, or form is that no one ever wants to give them any money because this, like, they need to be self-sufficient so that they're not communist and Mm state-run has been baked into them since the beginning. Meanwhile, the highway system. Yeah, but... The American highway system. Yeah, yeah. America Eagle flies over highway system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, like, that sort of explains, like, first of all, the right's whole ethos and how to get rid of things it doesn't like. And second of all, why Amtrak has so much trouble all the time, and especially at the beginning, is because they have no money and the federal government doesn't want to give them money because, you know, they need to be a not, quote, not communist, unquote, service that doesn't rely on government aid. Even though it could really use some. Right? Even though it could really use some. Because, you know, as we said earlier, Congress was willing to pay to redecorate and clean the insides of the train cars, but not to pay for the heavy maintenance that many cars, and especially those on heavily trafficked northeast routes, needed. So this is all a big trick to make sure Am- Amtrak either A, outright fails, or B, just never really gets that big or successful. Well, there were two routes that they were going for. So either Amtrak is going to crash and burn and we can get rid of pass- communist passenger rail service, Wah-ha-ha-ha. which was the preferred option, mm-hmm. or B, part of it will become extremely successful and we can privatize it. What? There's <laughs> not even like a low-key public option in there somewhere? Nope. It's either going to die or we'll privatize it. Gosh darn it. Right, because... Communism is when the federal government does stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. The um, American federal government. 
Y- yes, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> additionally, as we stated before, so so Lewis, he was good in some things. Like he does advertising. He rationalizes the network. Useful. Other things, not so good. So we mentioned he was an airline man and not a railroad man, and so he tried to turn Amtrak into an airline. Which it's most notably not. Trains and planes are, like, different because physics. Right, so he did (laughs) things that kind of still exist on Amtrak today. (laughs) You were well aware of. um, (laughs) You were well aware of. Standardizing car interiors, probably a good thing. Eliminating cafe and dining cars on short-haul routes, not a good thing. A very bad thing. (laughs) Because that's a good service. You can make money off of it. Right. Um, and then several attempts to eliminate first class because... But isn't that like a moneymaker? Shh. Oh, my bad. Wait, why, why would he get rid of first class if he's an airline man? Because the airlines always want to get rid of first class. They yeah. hate first class. They want to cram as many people into the sucker as they can. Ooh, yeah. Because Which, flying a plane is very expensive. It makes, like, it costs thousands of dollars a minute. So yeah. It makes sense on a plane because you have this finite amount of space that costs an absolute buttload of money. Mm-hmm. Whereas on a train, eh, just slap another car on it. So monkey and tubes paradox. Yes, the monkey and tubes paradox. Um, And, you know, some of Amtrak's weird ways of operating can still be traced back to this. Like, they make people line up to wait for the train instead of being normal and letting them wait on the platform. (laughs) Which makes boarding a lot slower. And weird, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Not a plane. These trains have dozens of doors. you know, you still have to have a roommate to get a dining car now. You can't just... You can go to the cafe car if you're in a oh. car, but you can't go to the dining oh. car. Because, you know, we got to be weird and we can't have normal dining cars for everyone because that's not a, like, railroad thing since the very beginning. No, 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 no. <laughs> but, yeah. And then finally, Amtrak was also crippled by the fact that it didn't own any track at first. And this is still, like... In my opinion, probably the biggest thing that cripples Amtrak today. Yeah. Other than the funding one. Uh, so it didn't own any track at first, which forced it to operate on the whims of railroads it ran on, uh, many of whom had become actively hostile to passenger service because let's say you're a freight railroad today, right? Yeah. And you want to operate as much freight over a thing with as little infrastructure as possible, which is something that started around this time, something we love to call precision schedule railroading now. This is like when they started to disinvest in infrastructure and just be like, okay, we're not going to spend any money on infrastructure or rolling stock and we're just going to run as many trains over it as possible <laughs> and it's going to be great. Even, even, if, even if that's not really a logical scheduling decision. Right. We're just going to... You know what yeah. interferes with the ability to run super long trains whenever you want? Short trains that have somewhere to be at some time? Yes. <laughs> also known as passenger service. Passenger service disrupts like the ability of freight railroads to just be disorganized and full of crap and freight railroads hate them for it. <laughs> so you know, it would have cost money to have like functioning infrastructure and trains that are a reasonable length. Right. Not that much money, but it's still money. So, yeah, Amtrak was not having a good time. But despite congressional and presidential tomfoolery, uh, things were looking up for Amtrak by the end of the 70s. So, Ridership continued to grow. It surpassed 70 million, or excuse me, 70 million, I wish, 20 million annual riders by the end of the decade. Let's go. And the Railroad Revitalization and Regulatory Reform Act of 1976, which was a Carter administration thing. Woo woo. Um, (laughs) Right? Uh, Allowed Amtrak to purchase the Northeast Corridor, which became and remains the crown jewel of Amtrak's portfolio today. Allowed as in permitted or allowed as in funded? Yes. 
cool. <laughs> it allowed them to purchase... First of all, it allowed them to purchase trackage in the first place, <laughs> which they weren't allowed to do before. And second of all, it paid for part of the Northeast Corridor. And here we are today. And like you said, it's, it's the best they've got. It's the best in the country. And in the Western Hemisphere. <laughs> and maybe in the Anglophone world, if you think about it. Except for maybe the East Coast mainline in the UK. Mm. Do you think it would make sense for the federal government to enable and at least help fund future track purchases by Amtrak? That's for next episode, sir. We're, sh- we're still we're still oh, in we're still in the past. We're still in the past. Like we we <laughs> just got to nineteen eighty. <laughs> okay, back to uh, back to the future. Nineteen eighty, a year when nothing happened. So, and then they also managed to stabilize cleaning and maintenance and scheduling, which That's made their good. service, like, slightly better. <laughs> Having enough money to, you know, make your trains and not fall apart. And they had started to uh, standardize rolling stock. Whoa. Were they, like, actually the buying ones. new trains? The M-Fleet ones, yes. And their oldest type of locomotive that they still operate. <laughs> so. Of course they still operate. It's like the PGH-80 or something like that. Foamers do not at me. <laughs> <laughs> You're so going to get at it. I'm going to get at it by the foamers. Okay, so 1980, things are looking up. Things, things are, are looking, looking up, up, right? Like, you've just had four years of the Carter administration who is, like, not actively hostile to Amtrak's existence. And even gave him a little help. Gave him a little help, let him buy the Northeast Corridor. Nice little hug. Helped him buy the first generation of Amtrak's, like, you know, new passenger cars that don't suck. Which mm-hmm. puts them on, if you will, a good track. And ended the rainbow era. And, yeah, it did end the rainbow era, though. Um, hey, at least the cars weren't falling but apart. But then in 1980, <laughs> a certain person who... Slash gender neutral bathroom. <laughs> yes, yes. So, you know, there's that old quote from a TV show, and I don't remember which one it is, but every single problem with this country can be traced back to Ronald Reagan. And, um... What, is that a Simpsons quote or something? No, it's not from the Simpsons. I feel it's like from that's a TV Big show. Bang Theory It might something. be from the Big Bang. <laughs> but, but the point is, every single problem with this country today can be traced back to Ronald Reagan, and Amtrak is among them. <laughs> So back in the day, we did a little neoliberalism. We had a 20-year love affair with neoliberalism from 1980 to 2000 when we were just like, hmm, the government doing things, that's communism. We're going to privatize everything. Which has famously worked great for us and other countries that have also done similar things. Hence England. Hence England. Like, just just take a look at the United Kingdom today and you can see why neoliberalism is maybe not a good idea. Yeah, Thatcher, <laughs> thank you very much. Well, you see, in the UK, you can do the same quote, except that every single problem in Britain today is caused by Thatcher. <laughs> yeah. Good old Margaret Thatcher. Um, yeah. All right. Tell us all the specific things that Reagan did to poor Amtrak. Well, he didn't do anything. Oh, is that the problem? And he didn't give, like, he wouldn't give them money, and he was fighting with them all the time but throughout the 80s the and government. 90s. The sort of. They're well, not. Okay, I know how the, these organizations They're a public work. corporation, so they're oh, owned really? by the government. Really? But they're not part of the government. Okay, that's cool. The Amtrak bone is... Connected to the... <laughs> loosely connected Federal to Railroad the Administration bone. <laughs> Federal Railroad Administration bone is connected to the Bit executive bone. branch bone. The executive branch bone is connected to the Constitution bone. These are the Amtrak bones. <laughs> <laughs> like, from 1980 to 2000, Amtrak just, like, 
struggled to stay afloat because Clinton was also a neoliberal, just not a neoliberal that wanted to murder minorities. That's progress. Big, big so, difference. So, big difference. Yeah, so ridership stagnated around 20 million for two decades, which is a long time. Yeah. Um, uh, let me guess, due to the lack of new investments of any sort whatsoever. There were some in, in the later years of the... Oh, anyway. Good. Uh, so they, there was this continued obsession with financial self-sufficiency on the part of Congress and successive administrations, uh, which resulted in Amtrak being chronically sor- short of cash for the entire period. Like they're just like barely having money to like the, not the have Congress. Fall apart. Congress had this kind of binge purge relationship with Amtrak during the eighties and nineties, <laughs> where they would be like, "Okay, Amtrak, you're, we're not giving you any more money," and Amtrak would be like. Oh, boy. And then Amtrak would almost collapse, and the federal government would be like, okay, we're going to give you money. And then they're like, okay, Amtrak, we're not going to give you any more money. (laughs) So they kept having this, like, bailout, almost failure, bailout cycle for a while because they kept being like, you're going to be financially self-sufficient this time, god damn it. (laughs) And then Amtrak was like, actually, I can't do that. (laughs) We should try the strategy on um, the highway funding. <laughs> okay, um, state state operated highway networks. You're not getting any money. You better make your own money. Ah! We'll bail you out in ten years. See you then. Yeah, um, they did manage to do some good things during this time, though, which sort of set the groundwork for them being like having a chance to explode from their current state of today. First of all, they managed to standardize all of their rolling stock. By standardized, you mean buying new trains that aren't garbage? Well, yeah. I mean, most of the, like, Amtrak rolling stock that's used today is from the 80s and 90s. Oh, cool. Except the cell sets, mostly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like, the two-story ones, like the view liners and the Amfleet cars and all the, all the different things are basically a result of this era. Um and then also, they greatly improved Metroliner service between DC and NYC, creating the predecessor of a cell service. Nice. Was this still using the weird jank old tilting trains? No, because as we said, those had had big problems, and so they eventually re- replaced it with just like uh, locomotive hauled electric trains. Did the problems come from the whole tilting part of the tilting train? They probably came from the fact that they were manufactured by the Bud Company, which is an interesting chapter of American Railroad history we're not going to get into, but it was partly the tilting, partly they were just weird. Um, Also, they were hauling them using locomotives for a while, even though they were EMUs because they didn't have enough rolling stock. So it it was a mess. Oh, and then um, they were also able to make some... Uh, right-of-way improvements, such as the Empire Connection, which connected New York Penn Station to the Albany Corridor in New England, because previously, just like Boston is now, you had Grand Central and Penn, and and they they were were not connected at all. So you could get an Amtrak to the bottom end of that and an Amtrak from the top end of that. Yeah, but you couldn't get one that goes through that. So... (laughs) Until the Empire Connection. Yeah, so it connected uh, New York Penn to the Albany Corridor in New England. That was done in 91. Uh, so, you know, Bush did something, I guess. Uh, and then the section of the Northeast Corridor between Boston and New Haven was electrified in 1996. Cool. The Northeast Corridor being, like, the most Finished. electrified of them all. Yeah. <laughs> like, think of that. The Northeast Corridor was not fully electrified until 96. Okay, that's still pretty old by 
U.S. electrification standards. I guess. I guess. Um, and then also, you know, various states were like, oh, gee whiz, losing all this train service was bad. Can we're we going to pay you to have some back. And so some of the more prominent, like, Chicago. I believe, and please do not quote me on this because I'm not sure which ones were instituted when, but I believe the Keystone Corridor and um, what's the one between the Pacific Surfliner were mm-hmm. both like during this period. Cool. Sweet. Uh, and so that brings us to the 21st century. Hey, year Y2K, let's go. Y2K, the computers destroyed Amtrak, uh, etc. That's not true. No, that's not. Uh, so Amtrak has actually seen some pretty decent success in the 21st century. So they've seen Acela. pretty steady ridership growth. Like, i got to pull up the chart here because I have it somewhere. Line Where go up. And then immediately dropped. Yeah, COVID would be like... Is that... Wait, yeah, line, line yeah go, that looks line pretty go good. Up, line yeah. go up, and then... By year? Good. By fiscal year. Since when? Since zero. <laughs> yeah, since 2000, so Amtrak has, uh, you know, increased in ridership to about, like, 32 million before the pandemic, which is 12 million in 20 years, so it's not incredible, but it is a lot of a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and up, up his bats have been flat. Yeah, and then uh, obviously the Acela was created, uh, which is good, and it like started its full service in 2005 since there were some big problems with the train sets at first. Ah, but they fixed them. But they fixed them. Good. Uh, and now train go burr. Northeast Corridor got better. You it know. keeps getting better. Like, they keep installing more segments the Acelas can run fast right, on. Right, like, they've, you know, now we have a 160-mile-an-hour track in New Jersey, so... New Jersey. Jersey. Uh, Yeah, so we got, you know, good stuff is going on in the 21st century. Also, the federal government has stopped being afraid of giving Amtrak money. Which is good for their growth. Yeah, so, like, uh, I have have an actually pulled up chart of how much money the federal government gave per year adjusted to $2022. So, anyway, it, it goes up. Line goes up. Especially in the twenty in the late twenty twenty or in the late twenty teens, like the federal government started being like, "Hmm, climate change." <laughs> oh yeah, maybe we should have been uh, doing the inner city train things back when everybody else was. Right. So in twenty seventeen, the feds actually gave Amtrak uh, two billion dollars for the first time. Nice. And then last year or this year, I guess in twenty twenty two, they got six point seven billion dollars from the feds. From Biden. From. Uncle Amtrak Joe, yes yeah. sir, <laughs> yes sir. I could have sworn it was a bigger number than that. Uh, that doesn't include infrastructure spending. Oh, okay. Because the Gateway Project is, you know, thirteen billion dollars, and what's the Gateway Project? The tunnels under the Hudson into New York are ancient and decrepit oh. and falling apart. And they need to not be and doing that. They're making a new one, <laughs> a completely brand new tunnel. Right, so that they can close down the old one because it's and fix it and decrepit and falling apart. And oh, then and they'll, they'll have, have more tunnels. tunnels. Ooh, crazy! Double trouble. Right. Um, and of course, because tunnel it costs thirteen billion dollars. Yeah, uh, but you know, it does have many of the same problems. So in in two thousand seven, uh, Congress kind of gave up on making them make money, and that was like officially instituted like two years ago. Okay. That's so nice. They're not video. forced to try and make a profit anymore. Which helps them be able to like expand the routes that because aren't strictly profitable. They are service. They are service. They are service. Um, they have vengeance. But they do have a lot of the same problems. So first of all, 
they they have never had enough rolling stock. Like, and they don't have enough rolling stock. Like, people wonder why tickets on the NEC are so expensive, even though it's, like, the most frequent services, because they don't have enough trains to run the amount that would allow them to, like, you know, lower fares. <laughs> so if they had more rolling stock to either make the trains longer or just run more trains, then they would get more ticket revenue relative to what they're spending. And they could, you know, decrease fares, because yeah. with train infrastructure, running more trains over infrastructure you own is a marginal cost. It's not like a, you know, big extra fixed cost every time. It's like a slight cost increase because and you really just have to pay for crew, maintenance, and electricity. And so train length is like basically free. Yeah. So train is not like an airplane after Train all. is not no, like an airplane, actually. quite, quite <laughs> different in terms of the economics. All right. And then, you know, um, there's still a lot of, you know, places in this country that are extremely poorly served. By Amtrak. Remember the part where Amtrak doesn't have trains? Do you think they can well, go around just popping down routes? Okay, well, let's pr- let's ignore the Northeast Corridor for a second. They don't own any track. Oh, yeah. So you can only, <laughs> so most freight railroads won't let them run more than once a day on, like, routes that would probably support a lot more trains. Like, a lot of Amtrak's long-distance routes, especially the transcontinental long-distance routes, sell out, like, all the time. Because there's just so little of them. Well, and also, you know, they're popular tourist routes, and also they're the only, like, non-car way to get around through a lot of small towns in the American interior, and, 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 and. So, Amtrak's got some problems. and Most of which are caused by the evil class ones. Yes. And there are ways to fix this, which will be the next episode, actually. We're going to talk about the future of American Rail. So I know I said before that this is going to be a two-parter. It's actually going to be a three and maybe a four-parter if we get into talking about high-speed rail. (laughs) (laughs) So this has been the history of Amtrak. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube and to follow and leave us a rating on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, We would also like to thank our patrons... Which are already pulled up? No, they're never pulled up. (laughs) So, at slightly more than frontrunner tier, $20 a month, we have Zach Adams. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) At uh, $10 frontrunner tier, we have Curtis Herring, Mike Christensen, and Phobos2390. At low redline tier, $5 a month, we have Brian Smith, Christopher Whaley, Jacob Whitecotton, and Robert P. Walsh. Blue line tier, $3, we have Ben Busath, DJ Will Watkins. I will. Ethan McDonald and Martin Hacker Martinez. Thank you for listening and make sure to tune in next week for part three of Amtrak. Oh, goodness. And learn about the future of passenger rail in America and how I think we can fix it. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, and also, patrons, we're recording a Patreon episode tomorrow. So. Yeah. Judge exclusively for the patrons. So. What I'm saying is you should actually subscribe to Patreon now because we're actually going to start making Patreon-exclusive content. I know, because so far it's just been early access and, like, a couple of off-cut Minor stuff. perks, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we will be having, you know, once a month is my goal for a Patreon-exclusive episode now. I think that's reasonable. Um, so Plus other perks, like the merch Alex is working on. Yeah, we're going to be get, sending out merch to all of our patrons, Um in the form of stickers is the current plan for yes. stage one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we may also be setting up a store for those stickers. Yeah. So the anyway, of the internet. Patreon, you should give us money so that we can go visit the Morgantown PRT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And or the REM. And, oh yeah, we're going, we're, there's no if about the okay, REM. Okay. When the REM opens, we will be there. Sounds good. 
So, yeah. That's all, folks. Okay. Do, 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 do. See ya. Yeah. Bye.